This is Campus on the Common, a podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communication. I'm Emerson College alumnus and podcasting professor Chance Dorland. Broadcasting from Emerson College's School of Communication in Boston, Massachusetts, Campus on the Common provides an expert view into the field of media and communication through the lens of academic experts and industry professionals from Emerson and beyond. Exploring ideas like multimedia storytelling, media ethics, and how new technologies affect the communication industry. The Telegraph says fake news was not a term many people used three years ago, but it's now seen as one of the greatest threats to democracy, free debate, and the Western order. As well as being a favorite term of Donald Trump, it's also 2017's word of the year, raising tensions between nations, and it may lead to regulation of social media. That's a discussion in the minds of many Americans, college professors, and college students, as well as the Emerson College School of Communication professors who are with me today. Hello, I'm Paul Newa. I'm a professor of journalism here at Emerson College, and uh, I've been really interested in emerging storytelling and how journalists can uh, tell stories in a more effective manner to new types of audiences. And I've been uh, really curious about sourcing, how journalists can can pick more diverse uh, sources for their own stories and, and storytelling and, and the kind of the social science behind that. Um, and, and also looking at... Um, public service and and most recently been working on a biography of Senator Daniel Inouye of, of Hawaii, who who was one of the champions of bipartisanship in um, in the US Senate for 49 years. And I'm Gino Canella. I'm an assistant professor of journalism at Emerson College. I worked in television news for about eight years as a photojournalist, video editor, producer, and in 2011, I started graduate school in independent media production as a documentary filmmaker, mostly. Um, I earned my PhD in media studies at the University of Colorado Boulder, and during that time, I worked with several community organizations making media, short films, documentaries, um, capturing photography of their protests, demonstrations, profiling members of the organizations. So I'm interested in how media production and distribution can help foster relationships amongst grassroots organizations and contribute to building solidarity. Um, amongst community groups. Excellent. So Gino and Paul, great to be speaking with you today. The fun topic of fake news, those buzzwords. Uh, I want to know, how would you describe the different events and the people who brought that term fake news into these everyday conversations that we've been having for some time and probably will continue to have for quite some time to the future? And what does fake news mean to each of you? Well, I, I don't think fake news is anything necessarily new. Uh, I, I, you know, we've been fighting fake news ever since uh, we've been around uh, campfires and caves. Um, there have always been uh, individuals who who um, like to peddle misinformation, um, but also I, I think we need to respect um, those who uh, who 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 I guess use this term back and forth because. Um, we need to uh, understand that uh, what may be fake news to one person may be quite 
a, a real truth to someone else and, and that uh, uh, we should be um, uh, respectful that uh, truth has, has many different facets and, and, uh, and opinions attached to it. So, um, but information as itself is, is such a, a good tool as well as a great weapon um, to be able to promote a, uh, a certain uh, uh, perspective and often a, a certain way of doing things or, or a political uh, accomplishment. So I completely agree with you. But Paul, I think there's been a rise in fake news recently, at least in the amount of time it's getting in the media. And also, I don't recall, you know, I'm 32. I don't recall people talking about this 10 years ago. I don't recall people talking about this 20 years ago. Maybe I wasn't paying attention when I was 10 years old. But what's been the drive of it lately? Well, I, I would also disagree with you that fake news is, say, rising necessarily. I, I think that we've, we're coming through a very unusual period um, of uh, media where um, uh, we, we have we've had a very limited number of sources of information. And, and, the, and because of that, the media sources have been uh, very responsible in, in trying to be one thing to everyone in, instead of trying to necessarily facilitate a very broad discussion. And, and what the internet has done for us really in the last 15 years, uh, 20 years maybe, is, is really broadened out the ability of, of individuals uh, to be able to uh, discuss. And, and we as a society, I think, are a little overwhelmed at the moment with all the different sources. We're not really sure who to uh, listen to, who's credible and who's not. And we're kind of sorting that out for ourselves. And I, but I have absolute confidence in human beings that, uh, you know, we're going to learn from our mistakes and, and we're going to figure out how to um, uh, negotiate this, this new era of media where we have so many different sources of information. I want to get back to that confidence later on. I, I want to discuss that certainly. But Gino, you. Well, I would just agree with, with Paul in saying that fake news I don't think is necessarily new. But I think the term and the concept that's being applied to the news media, um, particularly by President Trump, is, I think, what is sort of creating this conversation that's being had more. Um, and I think in some ways it it has been good for journalists to do some self-reflection about what it is they do and to have this conversation publicly with news consumers to let them know about the work of journalists and about the role of the news media in terms of holding public officials accountable um, and sort of sorting out what is fake news, what is propaganda, what is misinformation and disinformation. So I think, you know, we've had people trying to mislead deliberately for political reasons for decades. Um, but I think now it's just more of the concepts and the terms that are maybe kind of evolving depending on who you're talking to and depending on sort of what their agenda is or what they're trying to kind of evoke. And so all that being the case, I love that we have um, some differing perspectives. What does this mean for both of you as professors, both in the classroom and in, and in your career? So I would say in the classroom, I think this is something that journalism students are interested in talking about and working through. Um, so I'll just say 
anecdotally, my I'm teaching a senior capstone class this semester, and these students came to Emerson four years ago prior to the 2016 election. And some of them have sort of expressed a frustration that the climate around journalism and towards the news media has devolved into what it is and has made them rethink a career in journalism, which I find unfortunate. I'm trying to encourage um, them to sort of think of ways they can practice journalism or be a journalist um, without sort of needing to get into the fray or feeling, you know, defensive about the profession. Um, so that is one thing that I I have found this semester with Emerson students um, and just a reluctance to to engage in journalism because of this conversation and some of the rhetoric around the press. Um, but as far as trying to teach them um, maybe how to combat against it, I'm trying to encourage a well-researched, well-reported approach to investigative journalism and public service news. So showing showing your reporting, sort of showing how the news is made in some ways, I think can help build trust and build credibility with the audience. Um, So that's one strategy I'm trying to impress upon students as a way to sort of push back against this label. Yeah, get to know the man behind the curtain rather than being like, oh, there's someone there. Get Mm -hmm. to know what's going on. Um, Transparency, absolutely. Um, It's interesting you talking about the seniors um, and then having some doubts, especially because they're seniors, it's a little late to change your major. I had a conversation recently with some other School of Communication professors and uh, someone said that maybe three or four years ago, um, some of their students or maybe uh, a plurality of their students were interested in getting more into like entertainment journalism, but post 2016 election, oh no, they're going for the hard news. They're going for enterprise reporting. And that, that was a drastic change. Yeah. And I will say, you know, on the other hand, I'm teaching graduate students and the graduate students have come to journalism with this social justice mentality, with the want to produce advocacy journalism. And there, I think I'm I'm encouraged by that, but also there's, um, I think, the hesitancy around producing information that confirms what you want to report. Um, So teaching them about journalistic practices that I think are going to produce a well-rounded story with various perspectives, not necessarily a both sides approach, um, but encouraging them to provide more nuance as opposed to, um, you know, preaching to the choir kind of news. Now, Paul, you're in a, a very different situation. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I have the luxury of being on sabbatical this, uh, this, this school year. And, um, and and what that's allowed me to do is is have broader conversations, right? Uh, meet people that uh, I normally uh, don't have the the opportunity to, to meet and and go to different places. And um, I'm I'm really concerned though about the the term fake news and the way it's being applied um, because it's not necessarily looking at say propaganda uh, or or the content of 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 what is is being said. Fake news is being used as a way to silence others 
and to end conversation. And I, I'm very concerned about that because the whole, the, really the, what, what makes a democracy work is discussion. And what journalists are supposed to be doing is not necessarily publishing newspapers or websites or being on the air. Uh, and doing stories, it, it's about phys- being a catalyst for that discussion, to, to be able to help citizens be able to come to an agreement on what they want to do collectively to improve their society. And what f- accusations like fake news do is to instantly silence others, instantly end that discussion, instantly – it's kind of like a, a, the uh, – it's the, the break – on, on conversation. And I think because of that, because both the left and the right have adopted this term, this has become a new tool that's really anti-democratic. I want to seize on that for a moment. I, I agree that it has come from both sides, as you just described, left and right. But I think one side is using it a little bit more. I would disagree. Okay. Yeah, I would disagree. I think both the left and the right are using this equally now. I mean, I've been in. It's certainly I, grown I, in the last. Yeah. It, it is a means to be able to discount someone else, and and really, it's a it's a accusation of disrespect toward yeah. toward your fellow citizen, um, and and because of that, I, I think that we need to take a step back. I mean, there are so many different tactics now that are employed by left and right to be able to silence the other, or discount the other's opinions. And that is a breakdown of of our democratic unit, right? We're supposed to be trying to work towards solutions. But when you try to silence others by saying things like check your privilege or or saying things like fake news or, or you're using a tactic that's instantly trying to stop that process of, of unifying a society together. Uh, and I, I, it, it's so interesting. Both sides are also saying we want more bipartisanship. We want, you know, we want to end this kind of discord. But at the same time, using these terms like fake news, it, 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 folks have got to think twice about when they use that phrase, what it means, and what it's actually being employed to do. I really like what you're saying here. I think it's a really good way to to describe that shutting down the conversation. And then so that leads me away from academia and more towards the business. And, and, you know, a lot of students might not realize, but, you know, professors at Emerson College and colleges across the country, you know, the professors do engage in journalism at the same time. But, you know, you two are professors. Uh, You know, put your shoes in someone who's at CNN or ABC or Fox News um, to show the other side of the aisle. Uh, What is this doing to people in the media? So I've been talking with journalists um, for a couple years, and I have friends from my time working in television that are still in news. And so I speak with them occasionally and will ask about, you know, how this climate is kind of affecting their work. And one thing they point to is social media, both as an opportunity to reach audiences and talk about their reporting and talk about their stories. Um but also as a just a space that is creating extra work for them to develop their brand, um, to, you know, say the most um, outrageous thing that will get retweets. Um, so I think some of 
some of that is sort of playing into the whole fake news conversation. Taking advantage of the times. Yeah, because yeah. I think journalists are encouraged by their the news outlets that they work with um, to to have a large presence on social media, on Twitter, on various platforms, Instagram. So, so that is something that I think is in conversation with what we're talking about, that journalists are thinking about and thinking through. And I think struggling with how to use those in a, in an effective way to have kind of what Paul's talking about this reasonable rational debate that I don't know if those platforms just by the very nature of how they operate lend themselves to that. Yeah. I, I think journalists, uh, two years ago when they heard these accusations of fake news, they, they're, they're really insulted by it. It really hit them in the heart. Um, and, and they're kind of stopped and thought about, Oh, what am I doing? That's causing people to attack me in this way and so forth. But, I think there's a transition that happened um, about a year ago uh, where now journalists on the air in the newspaper are using this word and slinging this word around as well. And, and I, that – for journalists to adopt that phrase I think is even more dangerous. It kind of magnifies it and legitimizes. It was normalized, another term that's yeah. thrown around a lot now, yeah. So um, again, I think journalists have to stop and think. It's like, OK, what is this word actually doing? Why – what is – the tactic. Why are we using this word? Yeah, it, it and and what is their true mission? You know, is there, I think journalists in this in this era where we've had a limited number of media sources have have kind of lost touch of what their original mission was, which is to get people together to collectively figure out what they're going to do. You know, in in government to be able to to inspire citizens to participate in, in governance. And in some ways, I would say that reaction to the fake news label has emboldened journalists to be that aggressive adversarial watchdog role um, that I think the press maybe got away from 10 years ago and had a more cozy relationship with the previous administration. I think the gloves have come off a bit. Yeah, I'm seeing that. So I think there maybe that is something that journalists can sort of latch onto and think about regardless of who the administration is in the White House and houses of Congress, what should they be doing and how should they be reporting on these issues and how should they be sort of engaging the public with um, not just how they report um, and reporting on themselves, but these bigger issues, um, these more in-depth stories that require some sort of thoughtful time to sort of engage with. You know, when I talk to folks outside of, you know, journalism, media, off campus, uh, and thank goodness I've, I've been spending a lot more time with with normal folks, <laughs> you know, uh, folks, real Americans, I suppose, as, as some people kind of say. You know, it's interesting that I get so many comments, so many questions about um, why can't the folks on the news just tell to me straight anymore? Why can't they just, you know, give me the, the objective facts and, and so forth? And I find that really curious. So it's like citizens are uncomfortable with this, with journalists taking on this advocacy role. Um, and I try to explain to them that, first of all, 
even in the limited media era, uh, journalists were biased. Uh, they they did have a point of view. They did have a, a, a certain truth that they were trying to put out. Uh, the moment you put uh, you, you select what words go in what order in a sentence. You're you, you're inserting bias, um, and and that this era uh, where journalists are more advocates uh, on the air or in print uh, is actually closer to what the framers of the Constitution envisioned journalists to be. I mean, this is a kind of we're getting back to the kind of journalism that that uh, the framers of the Constitution recognized. Uh, where newspapers would battle each other if, in in the in the press over the different points of view and and inspire you know, mobs of citizens to to you know go to the tavern go to the uh, the street and and really vote in those days but it wasn't about putting your slip of paper in a box it's about how boisterous you could be on the street. And the polar would come rolling down in a wagon and say, oh, I hear more of this candidate than the other. That's the kind of, of uh, or this, this active um, uh, or activist role of a journalist is actually more comfortable, I think, to, um, to, to, the, to whom we call the framers than, uh, and more true to the spirit of America than I think the, uh, uh, than, than this kind of very cold, uh, somewhat subversive uh, uh, the the point of view of of how journalists have presented information over the last fifty years. That's great because it shows how things have changed and changing back. But of course, if you weren't around and you didn't know about how things were in the past, this seems like something that's new to you. Um, so I guess it's all about your perspective, but certainly something that we've talked about already that is new and was not like this in the past is technology. So that's where I want to end. I want to talk about whether or not you're optimistic because um, technology is going to improve. Uh, Gino, you've already talked about whether or not the social media, just its design is good or bad. Maybe people are now having second thoughts on how amazing it is to connect with your grandmother and your friends. And I've lived abroad a lot. It's great to stay in touch with my friends at Emerson, but I've seen a lot of crazy stuff in my Facebook feed. So technology and what are your thoughts on the future? I love the future. I want to embrace it. Um, and I, I think that um, uh, social media is, is not necessarily inherently evil. To democracy, I think it's that uh, the incentives that uh, the social media companies have been under uh, have inspired them to do exactly what they're supposed to do, which is to gather lots of audience and make lots of money. Um, it is it, it, it's a it's really fantastic that the last two years, uh, many different software companies are now starting to think about their social responsibility. Uh, in, in how they design their product. I, I'm delighted that uh, uh, four years ago when I went to the Apple Developer Conference, uh, I met with about 30 educational software uh, makers. And not one of them, not one of them said that they tested their apps with, uh, with the guidance of a teacher or with the guidance of a early childhood development specialist. And, and yet today, now that's happening too. Uh, more educational software is being developed hand-in-hand hand with, with people who understand education. Um, and so 
this, I think we, I think the companies are are going to be refining their product in, in new ways. They see how, uh, when how embarrassing it is to get uh, called into Congress. Yeah, there I think that's incentives. it. There, there might be um, some altruism in there, yep. but they're definitely getting called out, and that's happening a lot. You you know when you get called into con- Congress like that, it's it, you're you're going to be inspired to do business differently, and uh, uh, and and I also think we as citizens are, are getting. And we know we're, we got burned, right? Um, we know, you know, you can't trust this friend anymore on Facebook and what they send you anymore. Uh, you got to be a little more skeptical. And I, I that's very healthy. Uh, and we're going to get better at this as individuals. We're, we're going to uh, learn how to ignore. Um, and we're, we're going to learn what to like and what not to like. And we're, we're getting the hang of this as well. Uh, and so I have a lot of confidence in, in we as human beings. And we're, we're going to be able to figure this out and we're going to do it pretty quickly too. I remember that optimism from earlier in the conversation. But Gino, earlier on in the, today's episode, you disagreed with Paul a little bit. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I would just say as far as technology and the future of news, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, and for two reasons, I would say algorithms and the business of news So I think there has been a lot of conversation around Facebook and Facebook's role in sort of introducing us to information and siloing us into these filter bubbles. So I would encourage news consumers to seek out information that doesn't confirm their existing views, um, look for multiple sources on a story to try to, you know, get a more nuanced understanding of the issue. Um, And you know, despite what people have been saying about fake news and sort of attacks against the press, confidence in local journalism and local news is up in the past year. Um, But confidence in online-only publications is down. And so I think that speaks to the relationship between journalists and the community and how journalists need to engage with the folks that they're reporting not on, but reporting with. Um, So yeah, invest in news if you are interested in good information, in quality sources, um, subscribe to newspapers um, because the business model has been disrupted by technology and by social media platforms and search engines. So it is harder for journalists to fund their work and to do the kind of in-depth investigative work that's needed. Um, to hold public officials and elected officials accountable. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a mutual relationship that journalists need to do better work, but the public needs to support good news. And I think they are. And I think we see foundation funded news outlets and donor supported independent media um, doing really good things. So there is there is hope, but again caution on that. Cautiously optimistic, but along the lines of what you're just mentioning, um, kind of ties into what I've done over the last several years, my my move from working for uh, broadcast entities to freelance. And it might be for a broadcast entity, but it's one of many. I have a portfolio. I've really enjoyed that. I wish I'd done this straight out of college. Who knows if it would have worked out. It was a different time. I was a different person. Um, I think this is one of those... 
<laughs> there's some bad and there's also some good. I see this as some great opportunities for um, young people, people in the media who want to change. What, what do both of you think of that? So when you talk about funding independent journalism, I love the idea of people – um, either going out on their own or just being freelancers and you know being foreign correspondents in a way, but in the states, in their home country, and just reporting to multiple outlets and answering to themselves. I mean, I think freelancing can be okay, but again, I would just refer back to the business model. And I've done freelance media production myself and freelancing for different new news organizations and cable news outlets. Um, and so it can be a struggle kind of hustling for the next project and not knowing where your next paycheck is coming from, not having benefits, not having institutional support. Um, so access and credentials oftentimes are are barriers to producing news and um, speaking with various agencies that, you know, want to know who you're with before they let you in. Um, so I think yeah, freelancing is an opportunity, but I would I would just I caution students when they get excited about quote being your own boss um that there are other considerations to think about. Um yeah, just in terms of kind of this flexible precarious labor. I I've been an entrepreneur and I've I've also been a a freelance journalist and and uh, I think there's a romance of uh you know, being your own boss. Um, Maybe I haven't hit that burn yet because <laughs> I agree with you for every success yeah. story and I would consider the switch that I've had to be a success story. How many are there that end differently? It's like the intern that gets hired, the other 90 interns did not. Yeah, and I mean, I've done some great projects on freelance contract um, basis and it's opened up a lot of travel opportunities and, you know, being a journalist and being a photographer has taken me all over the world. So that has been incredibly exciting, but I would just caution young journalists and journalism students, um, about the other sort of financial components of freelance labor. I, well, I, I went in the newsroom after being a freelancer because, uh, I was, I realized I was spending more time chasing bills, you know, trying to, you know, get folks, get newsrooms to send me the check. And, and, and that, that can be, that can be a pain to, to work through. Um, either way, it's, it's a lot of work and, and you have to have that, uh, that grit, I suppose, to, to, uh, uh, to keep, keep working and, and keep improving and, and being your own boss means you have to be self-accountable too, to, to your own time. Um, but I, I think that what, what I would tell uh, or what I do tell journalism students is uh, the world we live in, the world I've lived in, has changed and it will continue to change. It's changing rapidly and there are jobs that, uh, when I, that, that, I, that were really thriving when I was in high school uh, that uh, no longer exist today. Um, and that they need to think of their journalism degree as more than just a, a, uh, a pathway to a newsroom or freelance work or, or what we think of journalism or what a journalist does today is going to change. It's, it's, uh, uh, we're going to be able to practice journalism in so many new different ways and they, they need to, um, use the journalism skill they've, they've learned, you know, the ability to, to uh, 
research, ask questions, be able to look at documents and, and decipher them, be able to analyze them, and also be able to uh, make sense of it in a way that everyone can understand what you're talking about instantaneously. Um, they can use those core journalism skills in so many different facets. Uh, and, and so that journalism degree is, is perhaps the most applicable of the liberal arts. It's it's the um, uh, if you use that curiosity that we try to to hone in in our journalism classes, you're going to be able to identify those new trends that are going to come up. Uh, you're going to if you use the research skills that that we drill in, in our classes, you're going to be able to pick up the new skills that that, that come up. And, and I I'm really uh, optimistic about what a journalism uh, degree holder is going to be able to do. Uh, I think that uh, there were, unfortunately, about ten years ago, we lost a lot of really great journalists uh, because they were they they were too complacent. They they uh, we had a really good in this uh, limited media era. Uh, and they they weren't able to uh, to adapt and use their same or see how their journalism skills could could help them uh, be uh, uh, kind of a, a launching point for for their future. Uh, but um, I believe that journalism is essential to any self governing uh, people, and and that uh, uh, because of that, uh, journalism as a core is going to change but it will be persistent. It's always going to be with us. Uh, so um, our, I think our, if, we, if journalism ceases to exist, then we'll know we live in a, in, in a dictatorship. Yeah, and I would agree that it's an exciting time for young journalists entering the profession or thinking about a career as a journalist in terms of just the exciting visual storytelling that's possible. Um, and reaching people with stories in various ways through data, um, through mobile video, um, all of the podcasting, all these things are really allow for a diversity of voices and a diversity of formats. Um, but just going back to the sort of the supporting journalism and the business of news, I would just say um, – you know, we should think as a citizenry about journalism as a public resource. And so not just – while I think foundation-funded and donor-supported media is great, um, asking every freelance journalist to start a GoFundMe for their journalism projects is just not sustainable. So we need really robust public media that is supported by people that, you know – pay for it and want news. People want news. We we know that and people are looking for good quality storytelling on every platform, television, mobile, um, radio. I mean, so I think it's kind of in our best interest as citizens and as journalists um, to, to support that. And and those that are in a very profitable position have to uh, think strongly about their public service role. 
You know, just because your your broadcast network has an operating margin of twenty five percent when twenty years ago it was seventy five percent doesn't mean that you're poor. It means that you're still making more profit than a than a bank does. Uh, and, and so, uh, I think media organizations have have got to invest in their people more. They've got to invest more in their stories instead of investing more in debt or 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 say debt service or or more in in uh, uh, trying to promote themselves or or uh, or try to buy other media organizations. And and so, I, I think. Um, uh, I, I'd like to see newspapers and, and, and broadcasters especially, which still have a, a fairly healthy uh, operating margin, um, that uh, they, they use that in, in a way that's going to enrich society. And if they do so, they're going to build trust. And if they build trust, they're going to have loyal readers and listeners and viewers for years to come. Campus on the Common is a production of the School of Communication at Emerson College. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Emerson College alumnus and podcasting professor Chance Dorland.